It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Giants, your daily New York Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, New York Giant fans, and welcome to the edition of Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast family, your team every day. Patricia Trainer here with you. It is Monday, December 2nd, and oh gosh, guys, another loss, eight in a row for the Giants, who lost to the Green Bay Packers 31-13. The Giants are one loss away from matching their, actually, I think from setting a new franchise record, um, nine losses in a row which could very well come next Monday night against the Philadelphia Eagles, but nine losses in a row would be a new franchise record, not a record to be proud of, just not a very good time for Giants football. And in today's show, I'm going to talk about some of the bigger things uh, as part of the bigger picture. We're going to discuss Pat Shermer's future. I'm going to go back in time to debate something um, that I think was the turning point in this franchise for this year, just going to try and again, these day after uh, podcasts are almost like therapy for me, and I hope they are for you. Um, so before we get to the the crux of the show, just a, a quick reminder, since now we're on a Monday night schedule, uh, and the week ahead, we're going to have Twitter Tuesday tomorrow, Wednesday will be our usual crossover show with the Eagles. Uh, Thursday, um, we'll have a uh, I think I'm going to have Ed Valentine on the show on Thursday. Friday, I'll see if I can grab Chris Biziano. And then the following Monday is game day, so there won't be a show. And then we'll just, you know, keep plugging along as the season can't end fast enough. It's just been that bad. So, all right. So in this segment, I want to start off with Pat Shermer and his future. Now, Pat Shermer's a good man. I I like him personally, I think he's well-meaning, well-intentioned. But you can't hide from the numbers, guys. I mean, the man's won seven games since becoming head coach of this team. The franchise, you, you, you look at it from top to bottom, and this narrative that they're making progress behind the scenes, it's like, okay, enough of it already. What progress is there to be made? Progress is not making mistakes, progress is winning some games, or, or at least, you know, doing enough to stay in the games. And, you know, you can make the case that against the Packers, the Giants did stay in and, and you know, they gave up, not gave up, but uh, the, the game kind of got away from them after the third quarter when they were only down by four. But you see the same mistakes being made by different players. Like, like for example, you, you watch the defensive secondary and it doesn't matter if it's Antoine Bethay, who's been in the league over, you know, 10 years, if it's a rookie or, or somebody in between, when guys are running and getting turned around and, and looking like they, they don't know what to do, when these communications uh, issues are breaking down, 
that's on coaching, folks. And that's not progress. I mean, I wrote this for an article. These guys have been working together for the most part since May, since the OTAs. They have had plenty of time to iron out some of these communication issues that you would expect to see, you know, in, in preseason or in, in the OTA practices, not at this point during the regular season. And that they continue to keep happening is just mind boggling. It's just frustrating. And it makes me wonder what the heck the coaches are doing. What are they teaching these guys? How are they teaching these guys? And are they making sure that these guys know what, what it is they have to do, that these mistakes keep happening? And the proof's in the pudding, guys. You, you look at the, the results and you see the breakdowns. You see, you know, the issues that are happening. And it just, you, you just, at this point, you can't say that this is a young football team anymore. And again, in an article I put on the Maven um, last night, that's up now this morning, I mentioned that the Giants, unlike what Pat Shermer said, are not historically young. They're, I think they were like the 18th youngest team as of the start of the 2019 season. And yet they have one of the worst records from amongst the uh, top 18 youngest teams. So I'm sorry, you can't use that as an excuse. Maybe for the first game or two. Yeah, you know, because guys are now starting to play together. But at this point in the season, even though we call them rookies, these these rookies aren't really rookies anymore. They're They're more than halfway through their rookie season or their first season. They are what they are. They've been playing and you have to wonder about the coaching. And I go back to an issue that I had with, with uh, Shermer when he was hired. And did he surround himself with the best possible assistance? I don't think he did. And I don't have to mention names. I think you guys are all intelligent enough to see where the problems are. But, you know, I, I just don't know that he has the best staff around him. And I really, and truly believe that that is hurting him as he's trying to, you know, erase the taste of, of his record in Cleveland where he had similar problems. Now, I've also spoken at length about Shermer's stubbornness and hanging on to the play calling, which as everybody knows by now, I don't agree with. But sometimes you've got to look at the bigger picture. I mean, I wonder sometimes if, you know, is Shermer loading up his plate and doing as much as he's done a result of him maybe not fully trusting some of the guys he has? You know, I wonder if some of the guys he has on his staff were just, you know, second or third or even fourth choices because his original choices weren't available. And if that was the case, well, I mean, I just, he was doomed really before he got started. Now, Shermer is not to blame for this. And in the next segment, I'm going to talk about a decision that I've often wondered if this decision hadn't been made when it was made, if it might have, you know, changed how things might have been for this season. But really, folks, the Giants are on, on a fast track to get a top three draft pick. If they continue to lose, as they have, they will get a top three. Right now, they're they're firmly in control of the second overall pick in the draft. There is a possibility they could end up for the first time in the modern NFL era with the first overall pick in the draft. Wouldn't that be something, right? So it's going to be interesting to see what happens these last few weeks. The season can't end fast enough. And, you know, it's just 
week after week after week. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's very disheartening for me. It's, I know it's disheartening for you. I see your letters. I see your, your tweets and, you know, we're in this together, folks. And hopefully I can, you know, provide you with some answers and continue to break things down as best as I can. So, all right, folks, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to debate a question that has been on my mind basically since it's been made. So stay with us. The Locked on Giants podcast is brought to you in part by BlueChew.com. Visit BlueChew.com and enter promo code LOCKEDON to receive your first shipment for only $5 shipping and handling. That's BlueChew.com. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked On Giants. Patricia Trainer here with you. Segment two. And this is a question uh, that I have kind of mulled over in my mind. And before you, you jump... And you say, okay, I'm not listening anymore. Just hear me out on this. I go back to the week three decision to start Daniel Jones that early. Now, before I go any further, let me just say something. I do believe that they needed to find out what they had in Daniel Jones. What I was surprised with is how quickly they pulled the plug on Eli Manning to go to Daniel Jones. And not because, you know, Eli wasn't having his struggles, although to this day, and I will insist until the day I die, that Eli was not solely to blame for the Giants' issues that they had. He was part of the problem, yes, but not solely the problem. So I go back to when the Giants switched over to Daniel Jones. And we all know he had the success against the Tampa Bay Bucks, who aren't as you know aren't one of the better teams in the NFL but how much of that was a result of you know teams not having film on him at the NFL level if you remember in the preseason Daniel Jones you know his first few games didn't play of a whole lot got a little bit more snaps and you know towards the end there but still not enough to to really I don't think make a conclusive dice you know conclusive um opinion on what he could and what he couldn't do at that point. So as the film started adding up, people figured out, okay, the kid struggles against zone coverage, the Giants do this in this situation, they were able to determine more and more trends and whatnot. Now, again, not all of that is a result of film because, you know, the good coaches and good teams figure out ways to change it up every week. But I just wonder, you know, especially when I watch some of these interceptions that Jones throws, was he really ready at week three to step in? If it, you know, I go back to when Eli was a rookie, they waited until I think week 10, week 11 or something like that before they put him into a game. And he was, you know, he had his struggles even when they put him in, but, you know, the sitting behind and learning behind Kurt Warner at the time, I think helped Eli over the long run. 
So fast forward to the present time. You put Daniel Jones in. You have a relatively young defense at the time, a defense that was going to struggle. You needed an offense who, if you were going to have any chance of winning games, you needed an offense that could handle things that could, you know, maybe generate some points, maybe, you know, keep you in the game. Now you take away that experience. And here's the other thing, you know, you, you put Daniel Jones behind an offensive line, which, you know, in all honesty, they started out okay, but then they, they, they regressed. They, they show themselves to be, you know, to struggle. So you put him behind an inexperienced offensive line at center. I'm talking John Halapio, even though he's been in the league several years, lost all of last year due to an injury. You know, we, we saw some snapping issues, you know, the push, the pass protection, you know, Nate Solder, I, I am convinced is banged up. And you're putting a young quarterback behind that line. Is that really a recipe for success? I mean, it's, I guess it's, you know, what, what's that expression? You're putting his feet to the baptism by fire, I suppose. But, um, was that really the best? situation to put a rookie quarterback in? Wouldn't it have paid to have maybe given Eli a few more games and just see where it would have taken you? Again, I'm not saying that they should have not played Daniel Jones, that he should have sat the whole year. I know there are people out there that think, oh, he should have sat the whole year and play Eli. I don't agree with that. You know, you were going to transition on from Eli eventually, you know, for cap reasons and, and whatever other reasons you wanted to cite. But I just wonder if the Giants made that move a little too prematurely. You watch the offense and what this offense has done. And think about it. Other than really the quarterback, and you can make the case for Odell Beckham Jr. being there, the offense really didn't change that much. The offensive line supposedly, you know, was upgraded with the additions of Kevin Zeitler and Mike Remmers. And you're still getting the same, if not worse, results. And you have to ask yourself, why? Is it because Jones isn't ready? Because he can't, you know, he's still learning how to make those reads? I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a valid possibility. But here's the thing now. Because Shermer started the clock running on the Daniel Jones era, does he now have himself a case to come back? Can he go to management when he's, you know, they sit down and they evaluate him and say, look, I've started developing this guy, you know, let me continue to work on him or work with him, I should say. I don't know that that's a reason to keep Pat Shermer. Shermer is not the only quarterback guru out there. Okay. I, I, I just don't think that's enough of a reason. And if that factored into the decision, if maybe Pat Shermer, you know, back then, after the, the second loss of the season, said to himself, okay, you know, at this point, we're not going anywhere. I'm going to get the kid some experience, or I'm going to put the kid in there because he can do things that Eli can't do, and he can more closely run the offense that I want to run. I don't know what his thinking was there, but I do know this much. Using Daniel Jones's development is not an excuse, and and quite frankly, um, you know, the reason for that is, is Jones had to switch and, and learn everything new or, or not everything, but enough things new when he came from Duke to the Giants. So this isn't 
you know, a case like with Manning, where Manning had Kevin Gilbride for the bulk of his career, and then all of a sudden had to switch and learn a whole new system after doing things the same way year after year after year. This is a, a, a different situation. And, you know, I, I just think that whoever the coach is, whatever the offensive system is that the, that the coach runs, Daniel Jones has the football intelligence to pick it up and run it. And I think that, you know, before and any technique issues that maybe he was taught that maybe go against what he has done in the past, or maybe aren't working for him or whatever, they can be addressed if there is a new coaching staff in place. And again, it looks more and more like that will be the case. So just, you know, something I was thinking about. And I'd be curious, you know, let me know what you guys think, you know, and when you do Twitter Tuesday tomorrow, if you want to drop me a letter and let me know if you think that, you know, maybe the timing was off or maybe the timing was on. Maybe you dis- maybe you disagree with my, my uh, perspective here, which is fine. But um, let me know what you think about it. Uh, it's always good to hear from you guys, uh, to hear comments and feedbacks on the show. So I hope I hear from you. Remember, the email address is uh, LockedOnGiantsPodcast at gmail.com. Folks, we're going to take our final break. Come back and I'll have a few wrap-up thoughts. So stay with us. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back, Giant fans, to Locked On Giants Segment 3. Patricia Trainer here with you. Eight losses in a row. The Giants officially eliminated from postseason contention with their loss. Not that they were really ever in it with the way they've been playing and just another lost, disappointing and draining year for giant fans and for giants media. Look, it's not easy for us to cover losing teams. It just isn't. It's not fun. And you look at, you know, just what's going on around this team. And it's just, it's, I don't want to say, I guess boring is the best way to put it. I mean, it's just, you watch football. I mean, even sitting at the game yesterday, to sit there and, and, and see a predominantly Green Bay crowd, even, you know, all the little bells and whistles that the Giants put into their game day presentation, just everything seemed to lack pop. It was as gray as the stadium and just, and, and as the weather, and it just was not fun. And that's a problem. I mean, you know, and I, I don't blame the Giant fans for not going and sitting in that weather. I mean, Guys, it's 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 bad. It really is. I, I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, wilderness years bad, but it's certainly giving the wilderness years a run for its money, that's for sure. Okay, so a final few thoughts before we call it a show for today. And again, reminder, tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday, so you know the drill regarding that. I want to touch upon Janoris Jenkins and his little outburst in the locker room wasn't really so much an outburst as it was a him speaking up and just basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, that he's tired of not being able to travel with the best receiver, that he's been basically 
put as a one side player. He's he's been assigned to the left side of the field, regardless of who th- you know who lines up across from him. And we have seen so many times, so many times, we have seen the opposing offense target the opposite side of the field where there is less experience. And it's one of those adjustments that you just sit there and you say to yourself, James Betcher, why aren't you moving your guys around? Why aren't you allowing Jenkins to travel with the best receiver on the opposing team? I mean, this is football one-on-one. You don't have to be a head coach. You don't have to be a defensive coordinator to see this. It's common sense. You put your best guy up against your best guy. And again, maybe they're trying to, to have these young guys undergo baptism by fire, but that can work against you because you can end up destroying the guy's confidence if he consistently gets beaten. If he, you know, just says, look, you know, at this point, I'm just going to throw up my hands and just go out there and play and whatever happens, happens. That's not necessarily a good way to develop talent. But let me get back to this Jenkins comment for a moment. Jenkins could have collected his money. He could have sat by and said, you know what? I'm getting paid. I'm getting a nice paycheck. I'm going to get it, win or lose. The heck with it. I'll just ride it out and get to the off season and then we'll see what happens from there. That Jenkins spoke up shows he cares about this team and whether he, they win or lose. That's leadership. Okay. You know, you could say what you want about Jenkins, that he checks out here and there, that some of his effort plays have have lacked. And I agree with that. But you have a guy who just basically, he wants to win. I think deep down inside Jenkins, you know, he wants to be part of a winning program. And when he sees, you know, the coaches not I don't I don't want to say not caring, but basically say, okay, you know, we're going to stick with this until we get it right and we're not going to adjust. I could see where he might see that as maybe not caring or not knowing or whatever. And, and, and that trickles down. And that's a form of losing a guy, I think, you know, so that's something just to keep an eye on, especially with that locker room and losing that locker room. I don't think that, you know, the coaches have lost it yet, lost the locker room that is. But my gosh, they are really teetering on the brink there of losing that locker room if they're not careful. Not not in the way that Ben McAdoo lost it, but just, you know, in general speaking, it's something to keep an eye on when you start to see these these efforts, you know, dry up because guys are throwing up their hands and saying, well, damned if I do, damned if I don't. So now, What's interesting, and we'll get into this when we do the off-season programs here, I don't know that Jenkins, who, you know, for two years now, I thought that he was going to be a salary cap casualty. At this point, given how these these young kids have played, do you cut him, considering he's probably your best cornerback? I don't know about that. If you make a coaching staff change, maybe you keep Jenkins around to help these kids. So that's going to be something interesting to see what they do. That is down the line, obviously. But um, but yeah, Jenkins was frustrated. And I spoke to some other guys in the locker room and they were frustrated. You know, a lot of guys talking off the record, they were frustrated. So, you know, you, you could just tell that something's brewing there and it's not a very good scenario right now. And 
you know, guys, the older guys know, hey, listen, I've got a family to feed, so I'm going to keep playing hard, you know, so that I earn my keep and I don't put something bad on film. And then you've got some younger guys who, you know, they they just don't get it. And they're just not, I guess, whether it's not they're studying or whatever, it's just, it's hard to watch guys. It's, there's no other way to put it in. I'm, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, I feel like I've been saying the same thing for the last eight Mondays. And um, all I can say at this point is that change is coming. I just don't see this coaching staff in its entirety surviving. I don't know just yet what Pat Shermer's fate is going to be. I would think if the losing continues, there's no way you can justify keeping him, no matter how much he he pleads for his job or how strong of a case he might have. And um, look, at this point, if they do make a change, I hope they they abandon this, you know, this this feeling of, oh, we've got to stay with familiarity or, or, or even recycling retreads. One of my greatest concerns, I guess, is, you know, if, if Ron Rivera becomes available, if Jason Garrett becomes available, the Giants maybe, you know, if they move on from Shermer, they go to one of those retreads. I don't know that I'd want to see that. I would rather they go outside of the organization. You know, a guy, well, actually a guy that, that's number one on my list is Matt Rule of Baylor. And I know the guy, you know, Matt Rule has ties to the organization. That was many, many years ago. He was assist, an assistant coach. But get a guy who can be that CEO who's going and let him hire his own coaching staff and let him, you know, run the program. And, and work with the players and, and, and do all the things that he needs to put them into position. And I just don't know if, if that's going to be the case. I, I really wish I could give you guys an answer and tell you what you want to hear as far as what, what the fate of this coaching staff is. But we'll have to wait until the end of the season when John Mara and uh, Dave Gettleman speak. The end of the season is coming up sooner than later. And I suspect it's going to be a busy one, a busy end of the season. Um, and uh, we'll see. And also, before I call it a show, um, just I haven't mentioned Dave Gettleman. And I know a lot of people out there want Dave Gettleman out. I think Dave Gettleman survives. And I always point back to, you know, the George Young era, the start of the George Young era. George Young got at least three years more than three years, but he, he he was kept on board for three years before he turned it around. Gettleman is in year two. He's finishing up year two. And while there have been some questionable decisions he's made, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of the Leonard Williams trade, for example, right now, amongst others. I do think that Gettleman's going to get at least another year to fix this mess. And it is a mess, folks. So anyway, Thank you, as always, for listening. That, that will do it for today's show. And uh, don't forget, tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday. I look forward to your questions. Make sure you tag them Ask P Train. If you're emailing them to me, make sure you uh, 
send them to Locked on Giants Podcast at gmail.com. This is Patricia Trena, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked on NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.